I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into a special episode of the Crimson Corner Podcast. We're going live here on KSL Sports Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter pages. And I am Trevor Allen. I'm your host. I'm the Crimson Corner Podcast host and Utes Insider for KSLSports.com. Happy to be joined by a, a good friend of mine. I've gotten to know him over the years working in, in this business. And he is a, a Pac-12 host on radio. He now has a bunch of other ventures. Formerly of the Pac-12 Network is Mike Yam. Yammer, how are you, man? Doing great. I, I got to be honest with you, man. Like, I don't know if I'm totally used to hearing former with Pac-12 Network, but uh, but it is the reality of, of the situation. But uh, thrilled to be on with you and and still very fortunate that I, I get to talk about the Pac-12 conference. And you mentioned the radio stuff. So, um, you know, still on Pac-12 radio. And they, I mean, they'll, they'll have to kick me away from the conference in order for me to stop being associated with a lot of our schools and a lot of our players. So, uh, but appreciate you having me on, man. Well, you've obviously been one of the big voices and, and obviously one of the main faces around the conference as you're at every big sporting event around the conference, whether it's basketball, football. But I know that when when the uh, tough news hit that you were no longer a member of the Pac-12 Network, I know at least from a lot of the people who I follow here in Salt Lake City, and I'm sure you've gotten it around the country, um, really, you know, reaching out to you when that news hit. Yeah. Uh, you know, Trevor, I'll be honest with you, man, just totally overwhelming, uh, humbling in, in every sense of the word, I, you know, you know, the, you spent eight years at a network and, you know, Trevor, I couldn't be more proud of a lot of the things that we were able to accomplish, but at the same time, I mean, look, I, I read the news, I hear what people say and, and, you know, people talked about the distribution issues and, uh, obviously that was an issue, but uh, you know, the amount of outpouring it's, you wouldn't have known. I, and just so many nice words that people had to say. Um, I, I can't thank everyone enough in Salt Lake City in particular. You know, there's such a strong social media connection that that team on that campus, what they do is remarkable. I'd make an argument. They're probably the best social media team in the conference, maybe even in the country. And you can see the passion behind the fan base 
for the youths. And over the years, they, you know, anytime we did something on the network, they were always kind of interacting with it. And, and every time I was in Salt Lake City, I mean, people who would, you know, wave and stop by and say hi, I, it really was, I mean, it was a game changer. It meant the world to have that many people that were paying attention to what we were doing. I'm, I'm sad I'm not there anymore. Uh, and I hope I get to, to head back to Salt Lake City pretty soon. But um, yeah, I, I just honestly, man, I, I can't thank everyone enough for, for the amount of support that they have given me over the last couple of weeks and months. For those of you tuning in uh, live here, uh, you know, put in your comments, your questions for Mike. We'll, we'll ask him as we go along uh, through this sure. episode. We're going to talk about some of the big news that, that's going on within the Pac-12 and that there's a big meeting coming up on Thursday. We'll talk about that. But but first, Mike, I want to go back six months ago. You were in Las Vegas, <laughs> oh, yeah. T-Mobile Arena, and you just finished your very first day. It was, it was the uh, first round of the uh, Pac-12 men's basketball tournament. And then you then come on TV for the uh, second round and announced that the the rest of the tournament was canceled. And that was when sports shut down and obviously started locally here when yeah. Utah Jazz were on the road against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that was when yeah. it all came crashing yeah. down. Just for sure. Take us through. Can you believe first that it's been six months since <laughs> no. that, that day? And <laughs> and did, did you honestly think that we would be at this point where, where the, the college football season would have been threatened by this? No, not at all, man. I, and the fact that you had said, you know, we were talking off air about this. I mean, six months, six months, Trevor is legitimately in Vegas. The last time I had a meal indoors outside of my own place. I mean, you know, I live in the Bay Area. So that's where our studios are in San Francisco. And the city still doesn't have indoor dining. Everything is still outdoors and things just being as slow moving as they are. I still can't get over it. it's been six months, but that that whole time was really surreal here because Trevor, you know, even heading into the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas, I think there was some apprehension for even doing our shows there. If you recall, FS1, so it, it, it alternates who gets the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas, FS1 or ESPN, this past year was an FS1 uh, year, and they had decided, I think about two weeks before the tournament, that they weren't going to send their crew onto site. We were going to be doing our studio shows there. They were going to be doing theirs and, and then obviously have their game crew. They only sent their game crew. And I think people were nervous in on the network side at Pac-12 Network about even going there. You know, we flew there day one. It was weird, right? Like there's a, a different dynamic and there's so many unknowns because you don't know about COVID and, and, you know, you hear about everything that's happening overseas and in China and you just didn't know, you know, how serious a threat it was. And then the NBA stuff. So day one of the Pac-12 tournament, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this probably for the rest of my career. What was interesting about that day was we, you know, the day unfolds. And I think even, <clears throat> excuse me, for me personally, you know, we were, we were doing our, our show courtside, like literally five, six feet yeah. all away from the court. And the first game it what it's not packed in T-Mobile, so you can sit wherever you want. And I remember I was sitting, you know, maybe four or five seats away from uh, the Tinkle sisters at, at Oregon State. So Trace and Wayne Tinkle, the, Wayne's daughters, you know, they used to frequent a lot of Oregon State games, and they're a couple seats from us. And uh, Matt Mulebach and Earl Watson were the analysts on that show, and they're, you know, we're all kind of spaced out a little bit. And there was a dude two rows back from me, and he was coughing. And normally you're not even phased by it. I mean, you don't even think about something like that, yeah. but you know, I was hypersensitive to it and I said, you know what? I'm, I don't know if this is for me. So I just watched the entire day of basketball 
on our set. And our guys, Mulebach and, and Earl would tease me because every commercial break, I would take hand sanitizer and you know, kind of use it. And they'd say, Mike, you're the only one touching your microphone. And they were right. But I kept doing it every single break. And as the day was unfolding, you start seeing, you hearing these reports about, you know, you know, uh, different areas, um, uh, you know, different teams that are, are dealing with this. And as you know, the news with the NBA and, and in a lot of ways, kudos to David Silver. I mean, you want to talk about leadership at the top to be able to pull the plug when you don't know what the deal is. I mean, that's, that's a scary thing, you know, college basketball, especially because it's March, like they didn't want to do that. In fact, on, on day one of the Pac-12 tournament, Trevor, they had initially said no fans for the NCAA tournament. And we all just said, what, like, are you kidding me? Like, that's, that's, you know, crazy. Like it, it were really to that point. And sure enough, we were. And then when the NBA with the Rudy Gobert situation, they pulled the plug on, on their games. And you know that better than anyone being in, in Utah. Um, that's when the league said, you know what, we're not doing this. And I'll never forget to heading um, uh, out of the arena on day one of the tournament. We were, we were walking out. It was Mulebach and Earl and, and um, you know, some other folks. And I turned to them. I said, do you think we play tomorrow? And it was like this huge unknown. And sure enough, you wake up in the morning, the phone's got, you know, a million messages on it. And oh my God, it's like, you know, we got to, we got to figure this out. We had a sort of this emergency meeting in the morning and it was a wrap. And, and think about Trevor, like this is the longest winded answer to your question, by the way. And I apologize. No, No, it, it was, no, this is great. It's a really, it was just crazy. I'd never experienced anything like that in my entire career. And you had asked, like, did you think football would be impacted? You know, hell no, no, man. I thought I'd head home. I mean, at that point, Trevor, I didn't even feel great about flying home. I mean, talk about things messing with your head a little bit. I was like, all right, Vegas to San Francisco, it's a it's drivable, right? So I was, as soon as I saw my phone blowing up, I was like, all right, we're not playing. So if we're not playing, how am I getting home? And I rented, I called the rental car company from the hotel room before I went to T-Mobile to have the meeting and secured a car because I'm thinking to myself, all right, maybe, maybe I don't want to get into a flight. I wanted that option. And uh, you know, sure enough, I ended up flying home, but it's it just, it was so weird, but I figured, look, man, we're, we're two, three weeks down at worst. We're in the middle of June and we're, we're back at it. Here it is, man. I mean, we're having a conversation, uh, on September 23rd about the PAC 12 CEOs getting together on the 24th on Thursday, deciding about football. This is, this is crazy to me that we're even in this situation, but it is the reality that we're in. Well, you know what, what was also crazy? So, uh, you know, normally something for the uh, Pac-12 tournament, I would normally go and, and cover yeah. it. Uh, I, don't, I don't normally travel for a lot of basketball. I do more for, for Utah football. Yeah. But I, I didn't go to Vegas. And, but we actually had a, a TV crew and one of our writers, um, Mitch Harper, who, who covers BYU, sure. he, was in, he was in Vegas covering the Aggies, BYU. But they all started a week before the Pac-12. And our boss had them come home two days before – um, they were, they were, you know, the Utes were even supposed to be playing against Oregon state in that, in that opener and Utah obviously went on to lose that, that game anyway. So I was just covering it from home, but, uh, but just game. seeing, you know, what happened, I mean, and yeah, that was a great game where Oregon state hit that three pointer and, you know, yeah. to go ahead late when Utah was, I mean, and, and then you had Plummer going off for what, 11 threes and that's crazy, man. <laughs> I just, he couldn't miss. He was terrific. Yeah. Unbelievable. Which also means that, that that's a bright future for Utah, uh, coming up, you know, for, yeah. for basketball, but just of oh, how happy birthday, of by the way, Larry Koskoviak. So yeah, on, yeah, on, exactly. On yeah. Today. <laughs> and so, you know, just to see all of that happen, but you know, I was looking at it from, you know, a thousand foot view, you know, away yeah. just, and then obviously seeing everything of what you've done on the, the network through that time. I mean, I don't think we're going to go through anything like this ever again, as long as we exist. Right. 
Yeah, I, God, uh, Trevor, I hope to God we never have to deal with anything like this. And, you know, it's really weird because I'm, I'm 38. I'm going to be 39 in a couple of weeks. And I think all of us have had a lot of time with shelter in place and quarantining to really just sort of think about what we're dealing with, you know, as a society and, and dealing with a global pandemic and clear, uh, dealing with, um, you know, a lot of social unrest. And, Man, it, it really does put things in perspective, but I, you know, I had a conversation with Herm Edwards about this maybe two months ago. And, you know, you start thinking about different generations and the things that they go through. And, you know, at, at almost 39, I'd never experienced anything like this, like a global pandemic that shuts everything down. Like this is, this is going to be in the history books. You know, I'm like my kids, my grandkids, they, they're going to be talking about the situation. And, and I think big picture they're, we're going to be talking about it forever, you know, down the road because of what a pandemic really means to a society. But I think at the same time and having this conversation with Herm Edwards was sort of eye opening. Like I think in a lot of ways too, Trevor, this is sort of like a, you know, civil rights movement 2.0. Like it's just another phase of, you know, potentially some real change that, that we might see in this country. So, you know, as much as we were reading about Martin Luther King and, and, um, you know, Malcolm X and the things that, that they were trying to accomplish, you know, back in the sixties, you know, I, I think, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, I hope to God we're, we're talking about some real change because of some of the things that have happened in 2020. So you want to try to find the ultimate silver lining, my God, like that, to me, that would be it, um, you know, having to deal with a, this global pandemic, but this is as crazy a year that, that I've ever lived through. And I'm, it sounds like the same for you. There's a, a question popping up here on Facebook from Nate Dowdle. He says, Mike, you were the best part of the uh, Pac-12 network. Love your work. <laughs> and by the way, I, I agree that. with Nate. And that actually says something because there are some tremendous talent and some tremendous people on that network. And I would agree with, with what Nate said. You were you were the best part of it. Um, but what what is the, uh, you know, you and I talked about this off air, but, you know, I'm, I want to give you kind of the, the platform to tell people you're still in the business. You're just doing oh, yeah. some other ventures. Yeah. You know? Tell everybody yeah. what you're doing now. Yeah, um, you know, so so Trevor's still working with Sirius XM Radio. Uh, actually, did a show earlier today with Guy Haberman on Pac-12 Radio. So I, I'll still be a, a normal, regular voice on that channel. I've been working with Intel Sports. I don't know if people have seen. You know, a lot of us are watching a lot of the NFL commercials, but if you've seen Intel's commercials with the NFL, and they call it the Spinny Cam, mm-hmm. um, it's one of the the new projects that I'm working on with those guys. So super excited about that. And then just signed a, um, a contract with NFL Network. So I'll be starting with those guys in late October and, and certainly, you know, kind of in the mix on some other stuff as well. So I look, um, you know, Nate, I, I appreciate you even, you know, taking the time to watch this and, and to send me that message. And, uh, yeah, I, thank you. I, I appreciate it, man. Like I, I still, you know, it's weird, man. Like I can even feel myself getting a little emotional and I don't, I don't really want to, cause I feel like, um, you know, it's tough, man. Like, you know, Trevor, I was, I was with that, with the networks, you know, from day one when it launched, um, I loved my time there. I, I loved the people that I worked with. Um, it was awesome. It, it really was. It was, you mentioned some of the people that I had worked with. Um, we had some great, great, great people and just the amount of laughs. Like, well, I don't even think people realize when they watch the shows legitimately how much fun we were having. I mean, it was crazy. I was talking to, um, you know, we were just spending some time talking about basketball. I don't know if you remember Lamar Hurd, who's actually mm-hmm. now the, the, the analyst for the Blazers and Kevin O'Neill and Don McClain. You know, we would, you know, on a, on a, on a football Saturday, I think people get this, right? Like you're in, 
8 a.m. You're out like one in the morning, right? You're there all day. You're watching a lot of these games. And, you know, basketball, it's not as long of a day, but you're you're there, you know, 13, 14, 15 hours, 16 hours, depending on on sort of the way the schedule lays out. I got to tell you, it was we were in a room called the the touchdown room it was our green red eight television monitors. We watched all the games every single Saturday. I, I'd be in tears. I would be laughing so hard on so many of these Saturdays. And I, I remember a few weeks, Lamar would be there with Kevin O'Neill. We would finish a day. We'd finish our post game show at the end of the night when we were there all day. And we'd sit in the green room for another 30, 45 minutes, just laughing and telling stories. And I have never experienced that in my professional career, uh, in my entire life. And I think that's, by far when I'm going to miss the most, you know, when McLean was there, we wouldn't stay in the touchdown room. We would go grab a glass of wine after the show with KO, but, um, you know, it just all that, I mean, the road trips with Yogi and I know you guys probably had Yogi on, on your show. It's, and you know, all these friends that I've made, it's, it's been, it's, it's awesome. So for Nate to even take the time to, to send that message. Thank you. I really appreciate it, man. And you know, I've 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 gotten to know a lot of you. I, I know Yogi, I know Ted, I know uh, yeah, Ashley, yeah, yeah. Kate, Ash, Scott. Yeah. I mean, everybody over there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you guys have a great a great group over there. And I, I yeah. know I know that it hit you hard when when all that happened. And and you weren't the only one too. I mean, there no, were a lot of people no. who who were let go from from that from that network. And you know, that was what really made it tick. Yeah, it look it's it's crazy too because you know, and I don't know how many people realize this. So I, I actually was told in April that I, I wasn't going to be brought back. So they gave me a heads up um, well in advance. And at that point, they had actually let go of a lot of our production crew. We all sort of found out at the same time. So this is a couple of weeks, really, you know, less than a month after after the actually it was a month based. I think April 11th was the day that I found out. And then April, March 11th was when all, everything shut down. Yeah. So basically a month after the Pac-12 tournament, I, I knew that I was going to be back and you mentioned some of those people like Kate Scott and Yogi. I, look, I mean, Kate checks in on me, you know, every once in a while, Yogi, you know, I'm talking to Yogi almost every day, but like you, you talk about those friendships and the relationships that you build with people. Um, it's, it's really special and the connections that they're willing, you know, to help me out. But I, I got to tell you, Trevor, I mean, what really rocked me was what happened, you know, basically a couple of weeks ago when you know, you're talking about a digital social media team that was let go, um, and then a lot of my friends, man, I, you know, you're, it's almost 80 people. I don't know the exact number, but I think it's roughly 80 people. It's been yeah. reported that got furloughed. That's tough, man. You know, I got friends who have, you know, married with kids, um, producers, you know, just some of my best friends work there. So like, that's hard. And, and I don't want to make this a PAC 12 thing because, mm-hmm. you know, Trevor, the, the finances, I mean, I know what's happened on Utah's campus, Mark Harley. I mean, the whole, the whole damn athletic department, everyone's furloughed, you know, and every, you know, I, this is not, I don't want to make this a conference thing or a network thing. There's a lot of really great talented people that work in college sports that, that are hurting right now, seeing it on the campus level. Um, you know, and I, I just brought up the network just because I was associated with it. I've been there and it's my friends who, who are not working right now. So, um, if anyone is really anticipating a decision on a return to play tomorrow by the, the CEOs, uh, I could tell you, man, like I, I can't wait. Cause I, all I want is for my friends to be getting that check again um, and not have that stress and the anxiety associated with paying your bills because people, what is it, like 40 million, 30 million people that are unemployed yeah. right now? Like, this is a crappy deal, man. It's a crappy time for a lot of people. And I think that's also why I'm so appreciative of the support uh, that I've gotten because I know how down I was. And it's it's like this it's an emotional roller coaster, and I don't like roller coasters. Um, 
And it's, you know, I, I, I was fortunate because I have had people check in on me and people that have been willing to say some really nice things um, about my work. It, it means the world because you start doubting yourself too. Like you start going, oh, you know, like maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was, or you know, like you just start doubting your ability a little bit, which I think is normal. But the the support's been amazing, and I think there's a lot of people right now that that could use that support. Uh, number one, and and number two, man, I just I want to see people back to work. One more question about this, and then we'll we'll sure, move on sure. to uh, some other pactual topics. Uh, Nate mentioned in here. So say that, and I'm guessing we're going to get an answer as to, and in that it's not a matter of uh, if it's when we're going to have, you know, Pac-12 football back. Are you going to go back to the Pac-12 network? Uh, Great question. You know, um, a couple of my bosses back in, in the summer had asked if I'd be willing to go back as a freelancer. And I told them 100%. I mean, there's, you know, I have, my relationships with the coaches and the players. I mean, I, I'm thrilled, right? Like Justin Herbert, you know, the other weekend I get to see him ball out. I see Joshua Kelly in that line. Like, this is awesome. This yeah. is awesome to see some of these guys. So I look, I, I don't know if there's a spot for me, to be honest with you. Um, at this point, if they called, of, of course, I'd be interested in, in doing some stuff again. But um, I think I was only going to go back if there were multiple games on the network on a Saturday. Um, and to be honest, Trevor, you know, you know, we, and I know we're going to dive into it. I don't know if there's going to be enough inventory to have two games on Pac-12 Network. You know, they're talking about a six game or seven game uh, conference schedule starting in October on Halloween. And I hope it starts then because I think then we have that conversation about being included in the college football playoff. How likely is it? You know, you don't, you play in November. I don't know if the CFP is willing to push their game back to buy some time. So, um, you know, it's an interesting development, but um, I guess the short answer is interested for sure. Likely. I, uh, I don't, I don't know how likely that is at this point. Well, for me, I would love to see you back on the network because I think Appreciate you and Yogi it. are a tremendous team. <laughs> He's the tremendous best. duo. Y- Yogi's going to be there, man. He's going to be calling yeah. games. He's going to be crushing it. He's going to be with Ted uh, on a lot of those broadcasts. So, like, the coverage, you know, and this goes back to my friends who work there. Like, they're going to do an awesome job, whether I'm there or not. Like, they're going to crush it. And um, and you guys know this. It's not just me who knows the stories and what's happening in the league. Yogi is prepared as any person I've ever worked with in my entire career. Ash is going to be on point. She knows what the hell is going on um, in this conference. Kate Scott's, you know, tremendous. Our analysts know, you know, Ali Odie's been there, Nigel Burton. Like we, we have a great crew, Evan Moore, you know, I don't want to miss anyone's name, but like the coverage is a lot of them. There's a lot of good ones. Yeah. We, we got a great crew and and the crew is going to do an amazing job. There's, there's no doubt, no doubt in my mind. Okay. Now a week ago, the other power five conference decided to start up football beginning next month and that is the big 10 that was when it finally sparked the conversation within the pac 12 to get rolling now i'm just going to be blunt here with you there's a lot of people out there who say that basically the pac 12 follows the lead of the big 10 do you feel that way hard not to based off of what we've seen right i mean look just call a spade a spade here and it i think if the timing was a little bit different maybe you have a different conclusion, but you know, the decision to postpone the season to 2021, that comes what a couple hours after the big 10 makes their announcement. I think what's really interesting, Trevor, about the timing of all this is September 3rd, if I'm not mistaken, is when the conference announces and, and Larry Scott does, you know, a webinar online and we're all watching it. And it's this partnership with Quidel, the testing company. And that's September 3rd. And yet on September 16th, 
that's when the Big Ten makes its announcement that they're playing early. At that point, the ball all of a sudden gets rolling. Like, and maybe it was rolling previously, but we didn't. I didn't hear about any of this stuff. So, um, you know, John Wilner, who covers the conference, he had tweeted something which I thought was kind of interesting. It was seven a.m. Big Ten makes their announcement. Seven p.m. USC and UCLA are in conversations with local county officials, health officials in LA about getting back on campus and practicing. I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, like what, what the, the timing, like what, what, like do we need the big 10 to start doing that? Hours. And I don't know, like I said, I, I'm, I don't work in the building anymore. Um, you know, so I couldn't tell you, I, I would assume that those conversations were happening shortly after the testing announcement and the relationship, but, it's weird to see publicly we don't know about it until the Big Ten makes their announcement. Um, and, and clearly there's a relationship. I and mean, we've seen it over the years with the Rose Bowl and that game. And I, I think the, the, the Pac-12, to be honest with you, and I've said this on, on Sirius XM, I think the Pac-12 actually needs the Big Ten more than the Big Ten needs the Pac-12 with regard to scheduling. Like Larry Scott had said this and he's been on record and I agree with him. And that's this idea of scheduling with the big 10. I think that would have been ideal. If you weren't going to roll with, with the other three power five leagues, then why the hell not? You might as well attach yourself to the big 10. I think why I think the PAC 12 actually needs the big 10 more is because let's be real here. Uh, look, I've been on the West coast for, for almost 10 years and there is a bias against this conference. I mean, and hell, you know, this, I've been on, on you know shows that Trevor you've worked on before talking about how Utah should have been getting more credit and more national love a year ago. And it didn't happen. Now, towards the end, they certainly were in that conversation for a college football playoff spot. But, you know, Oregon is is the favorite in the league this year. And Oregon is a national brand. I, I would give them that. Oh, yeah. But I got to tell you, man, like, is anyone going to doubt Ohio State next year? You know, let's just say, and I shouldn't say next year because no one's doubting them this year. But I guess my point is, if they weren't playing in 2020 and they were going to play in 2021 with the Pac-12, no one was going to say that Ohio State doesn't deserve or doesn't belong or can't compete or couldn't win a, a, a national championship. Not one person would ever doubt that. But mm -hmm. I do think that there would be doubts on the best teams in the Pac-12, whoever that team was going to be. So I, I felt like the, the Pac-12 needed the Big Ten from that perspective because I think there's a, a certain level of credibility that league gets that nationally that narrative that they get that the, that the Pac-12 doesn't. So um, I, I love the fact that the Pac-12 is is pushing along, but I will say this, man, I hope it's safe. I, I really do because the league, I applauded them, Trevor, and they deserve a lot of credit because it is not an easy decision to make for those school presidents to say we're not playing football. Mark Harlan, the AD at Utah, said 50 to 60 million is what they're losing. From a financial standpoint, it makes no sense to not play. I mean, everyone should want to play from a financial perspective, and this is bigger than just the finances of it. But uh, yeah, like I just, that's a really hard decision. And you want to tell me about player safety, health and safety and, and, and well-being? The Pac-12 clearly is on that path. Now, are you going to be able to safely return is the biggest question. And and the the daily testing, in my mind, that's the biggest reason why why it should be okay to get back on onto the football field. You uh, touched on some really good points there, and I wanted to follow up with, so when, when uh, that, that deal came down for, for the rapid testing, it happened on the, the third, or you know, 20 days ago. The way I look at it is, okay, the ball starts rolling after the Big Ten make, makes the announcement, and you know, you, you already mentioned that it kind of goes coincide with that, but 
one of the things that that Larry said after the whole testing was trying to get you know approval from California and Oregon governments to allow contact practices, which is half your league. So you yeah. can't you can't go without half your league. But why not get the ball rolling and talking to those governors to try and get you know approval exemptions yeah. or whatever you will. So two things on that. One, I agree with you one hundred percent. Right, like if you make that announcement on September third, you you gotta you gotta get that ball rolling. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Trevor, if the ball wasn't rolling. I have no idea. I don't, I would, you know, I had reached out to someone on the conference side and said, are these conversations, were they happening? And the response was, it's fair to assume those conversations were happening. Cool. Okay. So maybe they were, I didn't, we don't hear about it though until September 16th though, until the big 10 makes their announcement. So that's one phase of it. So you're right there. I think one other really important distinction here that not everyone outside of the state of California and Oregon fully grasp. And that is this idea of not only the numbers with the pandemic, which are horrific, and California specifically, I can't speak to, to Oregon. I don't really know totally the numbers that, that they're dealing with. But in California, the numbers were, were not great. But the fires were horrific. I mean, we are talking about millions of acres that have burned. And I, unless you live here, I think people have seen the pictures on social media. I don't even know if I had posted anything. I mean, Trevor, like it was orange outside. I mean, it was legitimately, it looked like a friggin' movie. And it was the same thing up in Oregon. So if you want to tell me the governor, Kate Brown in Oregon and Gavin Newsom in California have some other things that they're, that they're worried about. I'm not going to hate on that. Um, And I understand it. Uh, I totally understand it. We couldn't go outside, man. I, I had been sleeping with my windows closed. I mean, if I showed you, if I moved my computer and brought it, I mean, there's like, there's, there's, on the windowsill. I mean, there's ash inside my apartment and, and even outside now. I mean, it, it was, it was pretty bad. It was, it, you couldn't really breathe. It was dangerous. You know, the Oregon Ohio state game, they weren't going to be able to play that game. You know, that there, you know, the air quality, the AQI number was, you know, the, I was looking at it, it was like in the three hundreds, you know, keep in mind, safety is like anything under a hundred, you know, 200 is ridiculous. And then 300 is like, I mean, that's like, you know, putting your head above a smokestack. I mean, it's just not safe. So I think those governors were dealing with other things um, and it wasn't a high priority for them. And I understand that and I can appreciate that. Um, But at the same time, the fires were still going on on September 20th and they're still going on at this point, not as much in, in Oregon. So I just... I can't speak, Trevor, to to what's happening at the at the government level or the local level. I know everyone's stressed because things aren't totally reopened, but um, you know, publicly, we just haven't. The transparency hasn't totally been there, and I think that's why people like you and me, certainly, and and other writers all over the West Coast are questioning sort of this timeline and like, what's it going to take to get these kids back compliant? Now, obviously, there's a big meeting with the uh, presidents and chancellors yeah. tomorrow. Um, what answers do you think we're going to get tomorrow? I mean, obviously when, when they're going to start the season, but what kind of answers do you think we're going to get tomorrow? And what are some of the answers do you think we're going to get maybe in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think number one, we're going to find out that they're going to play. Um, that I do. I think the, the two biggest questions are, are we all playing together on the 31st or the seventh or are the teams that are ready. Are we going to get that staggered start October 31st for some teams and November 7th for others? You know what I would love to see here? And I don't know where we net out on this, Trevor. How much extra preparation do you need? Right? Like I talked to Chase Garbers today at Cal and he says, Oh, you know, we've been working out individually cohorts of no more than 12 people. Um, but I do feel like, Hey, we're, you know, it's going to take a few weeks for us to get on the same page. Herm Edwards earlier this week, five to six weeks is what he had said. 
Kyle Winningham. I think if you asked him, Trevor, he'd say, I'm ready to play tomorrow. I mean, that dude wants to just <laughs> get exactly out there. What he would say. And, I, and I, and I get that, you know, I, there's a, there's a world that exists. So Utah, Colorado, um, the Arizona schools, right? Like they've been able to, to probably practice a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, than than the California and the Oregon schools. You're, you're 12 hours a week, you know, yeah. per se. So why not let those dudes play each other? Can you front load the schedule? And look, if everyone's playing on the 31st, great. But maybe the teams that have had a little bit of extra time, maybe maybe you front load their schedules first and they play each other. And the California schools and the Oregon schools, maybe they play each other first so that there's this level of equality after a couple weeks where there's at least some game action. I don't know. I'm just trying to think about how do we make it the most fair as possible. And, you know, the reality is it's not going to be completely fair. It's just not. And that's that's 2020. Um, and let's just play, let's roll the balls out and, and let's get it going. So, um, but I think those would be the two questions. It's, we are going to play, when are we going to play? Um, and is it going to be that staggered start or is everyone rolling together on the 31st? What would be the ideal amount of games if they were to come to you and say, Hey Mike, we're wondering how many games yeah. would, would be ideal for, for these teams to play and to, you know, get, get ready and to try and get it in. And also with, with the college football playoff, you know, in that motion. For sure, for sure. It's ideal. Yeah. I, I mean, right now they're talking about six or seven, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think six is just not enough. Six is straight money grab. Um, and, and that's fine too. Cause I, I get the, the financial aspects of this, but I would prefer to see, like, if you play seven and, and the, the championship game, is that enough of that data point that you need for the college football playoff? I would love Love nothing more than for Larry Scott, the athletic directors, and the coaches in this conference to be so vocal, social media, go on every radio show, every TV show you can and say, hey, CFP, include everyone. We're in a global pandemic. I get it. Those guys have been playing. SEC is about to, about to, to kick off. Like, no, 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 no. We're, we're seeing cancellations. Can't we extend this thing out a couple weeks? just so that we all have the same data points. By the way, and I, I've, I've heard this being discussed, Trevor, this is probably not the best forum to do this, but when I hear about data points, I think to myself, okay, why is it? Now, if you're going to tell me, hey, uh, you know, the SEC and the ACC, they're playing more games. They're playing maybe two yeah. more games, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, there's nothing that the Pac-12 or really the Big Ten can do about that. Fine. But why is it every single year we're talking about data points does it work in the favor of the Pac-12 that they're playing an extra conference game? No. I, they, they, they might say it does, but clearly, I mean, based off of the results that we're seeing, generally speaking, it hasn't necessarily worked in their favor. So I just love that, you you know, there's that old phrase, you can make any statistic work, uh, depending on the argument. I, yeah. I just, I would love for there to be some sort of reasonable action taken where we just say, you know what, we're going to push this bad boy out a couple weeks. Dabo came out and said, Hey, I don't want to wait for the big 10. I get it. I wouldn't either, (laughs) but you know, for the good of the sport, does it make some sense to maybe push things back a little bit, especially as we're seeing games get canceled? Um, Yeah. And I think that's the other thing, Trevor, like if you, if the, if the PAC 12 is able to, to extend out maybe an extra couple weeks and December 19th, isn't the championship game and you're able to add a couple more, then you have those data points, but maybe the rest of the other power fives come back to the pack a little bit in terms of scheduling because of cancellations. Maybe everyone nets out at a, at the same end, or at least relatively speaking, a similar end within a week or two of each other. And we're all playing roughly the same amount of games. To me, that seems reasonable. And I I would love for that to happen. Well, and you know, in any other year, 
when you're talking about the teams down down south who only have eight conference games and in the Pac-12 it's nine, yeah. in those four non-conference games, they're playing teams that you know there there there's hardly any challenge in there. I know I know that the uh, Trojans and uh, Tide were were supposed to play in sure. 2020, sure. but other than that, Alabama. You know, and they're playing like Auburn, you know, they're, playing they're playing FCS cupcakes. teams, playing yeah. FCS teams the week before the rivalry game. And by the way, Trevor, I'm not going to hate on it. It works for them. They have yeah. perception and the narrative working in their favor. Why would I want to play an extra conference game and guaranteed more losses in my league? I wouldn't. I get it. And they don't have to. They do not have to. That's why I would love, you know, in some, and I, we've all debated this internally and we've all gone back and forth with our analysts. Like I, to me, I'm like, yo, screw it. I'd, I'd rather play one less game in the league. Like I just, I just would, you know, I think we'd be talking about Oregon last year playing in the playoff, you know, the week yeah. they go down to ASU and they lose in Tempe. That's the week that Alabama's playing like South Alabama or, or something like that. I mean, to me, like that's not, you know, we value zeros in the loss column more than tougher schedules. Sorry. Like that's just my personal opinion on how those committees have, have gone with it the last couple of years. So if that means we got to make our schedule a little bit more manageable, whatever, I'm cool with it. Well, so I, I just want teams in, in, the, in the deal, man. Well, and not only that, I felt like the winner of Utah and Oregon in that championship game last year, I felt like one of them should have gone into the play. Yeah. yeah. Because Oregon showed and they showed in, in the Rose Bowl game that they're legit. And that, and, and that they, they could have competed. They had a great quarterback, a great running back. I mean, Justin Herbert didn't have to do much to Utah's defense. And that was one of the things going into the game was who would give in first? Would, would it be Utah's D-line or Oregon's yeah. O-line? Yeah. It was one of those, those things. And, and obviously it showed with Oregon, you know, really taking it to Utah. But I just feel like is that something that Larry Scott is going to have to change as far as the amount of conference games in order to align with them? Or are we going to have to yeah. wait till you know, the, the other conferences – Align with what the Pac-12 is doing. I don't. The league's not going to go to eight games. They're they're going to stick with what they have right now, and and I get it. And it's going to be incumbent on those other conferences to to mandate that. I know we've always talked about this fictitious, um, you know, college football czar that that mm. could help you know even out some things, especially you know, be a leader in in a really tough time with with COVID and and create protocol and all those types of things. Like to me, that's a part of it. It's how do you standardize the assessment of the college football playoff when they're looking at a lot of these teams, David Shaw has said this a, a bunch of times we've had him on, on the shows that we were doing at PAC 12 network. And he, it's just not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges when you do these comparisons based off of the schedule. So I would love to see everyone play the same amount of games, but the league is not, not going to drop down. They're not going to drop down. They're going to stick with what they got. Yeah, and I figured that that was the case. Uh, some some questions coming in. Yeah. Madison, uh, she already asked the, the question about the meeting tomorrow, but she also says she misses you on the, the Pac-12 <laughs> network. Appreciate and, it, Madison. And then uh, another one from Kyle Ireland. He asked, uh, you know, assuming the, the uh, Pac-12 chooses to play football in the fall, which we all think is going to happen, who do you see in Pac-12 championship game? Well, right now, you know, I felt like Oregon is is the favorite in the conference. Um I'm hedging a little bit. I think they came closer to the pack. Uh, no pun intended there. You know, Panay Sewell is, I, I would have made the case he's the best player in in the conference. So Legit. you're obviously going to take a hit. That was an offensive line that now has no returning starters. Now, Granite Mario Cristobal, that's his that's his unit. Um, mm-hmm. And if you've been to those practices with him there, he's 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 on it, man. He's as good as it, as it gets. Um, but then defensively, you know, a couple of, secondary Norse really comes to mind. He opted out. You know, that's the other thing that people aren't really talking a ton about. The fact that you told 
your university is 2021 and a school like Oregon sent their players home, those dudes opted out. Like, I can't help but think that maybe we don't get some of those opt outs if, if, you know, the timing was a little bit different on, on a return to play. Now, granted, that's not totally in, in any, it's can't point the finger totally on, on anyone in that situation, but it is a factor here. But I, I think Oregon still um, is the team in the North. And I, I think the South is still sort of open there. I think what's going to be really interesting to me is there is a, in a short period of time in terms of preparation for the season and a shorter schedule, Trevor, it's what do you like more an explosive offense or a dominant defense? And to me, what USC has in terms of personnel at their offense is going to be ridiculous this year. So I, I think, you know, not, it sounds like chalk. I do think that there's an opportunity for Cal to creep in. We'll see what Jimmy's going to do. At, and in, uh, in Seattle, you just can never count out a Kyle Whittingham team. And I think Herm's Herm's got some guys as well. They had a lot of injuries on their offensive line a season ago. And I think, you know, between uh, guys getting healthy slash getting experience that were young, I don't think they had, I gotta look. I'd have to go through my notes. If I'm not mistaken, though, I think they had one upperclassman on their offensive line who was hurt for a good stretch of the year, and then no other. I think everyone else were freshmen and sophomores on their offensive line. Like that's an issue, and now that gets a little bit better. And they have a great quarterback um, as well. And I think that's another way to assess it. Who are the teams that don't have a lot of change? And it's change at a really important position. So it's quarterback, it's head coach, and then at your coordinator spot. So. Um, to me, it's it's that those will be a couple of those factors. But the longest winded answer to Oregon and USC right now is is the two teams that I would pick. All right, now let now let's spin it around to Utah uh, because yeah. you know I, we haven't really talked about them yet. But you've sure. also been really gracious with your time, and I really do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. But Kyle's team, as we saw last year, really good. Uh, probably could have yeah. gone into the college football playoff had they been historically great defense, game. man. And the thing is, too, is that also on offense, it was Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss, who, who's the career leading rusher in school history. They Some lost they a lot of know. talent. Yeah. But they've also been able to reload a little bit. But, yeah. the, you know, no one can really count out Kyle's defenses until they actually have a bad year. But what are your thoughts when you look at Utah, at least right now? I think the last thing you said is the one that re- that comment resonates the most with me, which is you never count out a Kyle Winningham team. I, I, I remember two years ago being in Salt Lake City for the opener. We had it on Pac-12 Network, and I was talking to Kyle, and I'm looking at his roster, and I'm looking at all these different players. And I had asked him, and it was probably not the best question to ask Kyle, but I said, man, you ever think about your team two years from now? Like, Because that roster was littered with – sophomores and juniors. And then all of a sudden last year's team is juniors and seniors. And, you know, he gave me the smile like barely, but it was like a very, no, like we're worried about the season. Ah, I get it. I get it. But like, there isn't a ton of smiling with Kyle. No, but I think deep down, like he knew what I was getting at, which is like, Mm -hmm. yo, this team's going to be like, they're going to be studs. And they were last year. They were, they were terrific. And, and this close to winning a Pac-12 championship, this close to being in a college football playoff. Uh, But I remember being at Levi's, we were on the set and I was, I was talking to our crew. We were doing the show and I'd said, even in year one, Kyle Whittingham's teams, they have never been a doormat in this league. They just, they, they haven't. And I think it's a testament to the job that he's done. He's one of the premier coaches in the entire country, doesn't get enough credit for what he's able to accomplish. But I think that the way he builds his teams, it's always been in the trenches. And, and he's talked about it publicly, like this exposure that he's gotten and being in this conference, like they've been able to recruit better. Now, all of a sudden, they've had success the last couple of years. You know, we did a signing day show. My God, like he's bringing in dudes that quite honestly, maybe eight, nine years ago, like they're not considering 
Salt Lake City. And I think that the trajectory is up here, but you mentioned the loss and the attrition that they've had from last season. Like that's going to be an issue for, for this team. Um, I, I do remember, you know, asking, um, some of the coaches off the record around the conference, like, what are those road trips that you hate? Like, who do you not like playing? And the vast majority of the coaches over the years have said Kyle's teams in Salt Lake city. So kudos to the Moss <laughs> handling business there, um, and making it hard on opposition. But I think the physical nature in which they play their games is, is really telling. And, and I, I don't, I think when I talk to other coaches and that's what their response is off the record, like, yeah, that, that goes to show you that this team is, is a juggernaut. Do I think, look, Trevor, you're going to ask me to make a pick. Like I can't rationally come up with a reason right now where I'd pick Utah over USC. You just, you just can't like on paper. If, if I look at it objectively, I won't do that. If it happens, am I surprised? No, but you know, in terms of my job, like I can't just go with, you know, the pick from the heart or, you know, a gut feeling like you got to look at some of the evidence. You got to look at returning personnel that's there. And I think there's just too much loss right now to expect this Utah team to be where they were a season ago. Not to say they were not going to be there in two years from now, but that quarterback room is probably the best it's been maybe in the 25 years that Kyle's been, been on that team with that team. Now, another another thing that uh, Utah has going for them uh, coming up in, in the season, whenever it happens, is the uh, quarterback play. They bring in a, a grad transfer in Jake Bentley, who played you know some some highly sure. highly powered football um, against some really good teams down in in the South. And then you have Cam Rising, who came in from Texas as a transfer, sat out a year, but he he was alongside sure. Andy Ludwig up in the box for home games. As you go through that. Who would you say kind of has that upper hand to start? Because Utah only had three spring practices, which we know that that's crucial in spring is to get the new guys developed. But then you're also having probably a, a, a very minimized training camp now, whenever that is going to be. Where do you kind of go as far as quarterback play? You know, I am the last dude to answer that question. And I'll, I'll tell you why here, because I, I think Kyle doesn't care what anyone on the outside of this program thinks about the decisions he's going to make. And I respect yeah. that. And I think it's a testament to consistency at that helm. Like Kyle's not worried about job security, right? They lose a couple of games. Like Kyle knows he's still going to be okay. That's not the luxury that a lot of coaches in the country have, and he's earned it. But when I think about quarterback decisions, a couple of years ago, he makes the, the call to go with Tyler. I thought Troy was going to be the guy, you know, like here's a dude has some reps, has some experience, has won some games in this conference. And all of a sudden it's like, yo, Tyler, Tyler's out there and Tyler's balling. And it was a great call. And Tyler was the right decision, even though I think people questioned uh, whether or not that that was going to happen. I, the more people that I talked to that season, people did not anticipate Tyler Huntley being the starting quarterback. And here it was, he goes out, he balls out. And then last year they're knocking on the door. And I think it's also you know, you think about player development and actually maybe I can even find this while I'm talking, but I think about generally speaking, what Utah and Kyle has done with his staff. I, I saw a crazy stat. Sorry, I'm just opening up my iPad no, here. Good. Maybe, maybe I can find it here. Um, my notes from our signing days and all of our draft stuff is kind of all over the place, but um, there's a stat and, oh, here we go. So from 2017, oh, excuse me, in the four years spanning 2013 to 2016, Utah recruited just four, four-star guys in those four seasons, 2013 yeah. to 2016. Utah has 21 of its players from 2017 through 2020. So that's a four-year period after. So four four-star guys, 2013 to 2016, and then 21 guys drafted from 2017 to 2020. 
If that doesn't speak to understanding personnel, how do you develop them and making the right decisions? There's no other stat that I can I can give any fan on that one. It is a remarkable thing what's happening in Salt Lake City with that football program. And I'm, by the way, shocked that I found that stat as quickly as I did. Like I mean, <laughs> I, like, I know some of my iPad are all over, all over the place, but I was able to I'm glad I was able to get that in. Yeah, and 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 it's definitely a very, very, you know, crazy stat where Kyle's able to, you know, continue to develop and you know, they don't have to be four or, or any five star guys and you know, he brings in three stars. But uh, I want to end on this. I want to give you a chance to to talk to all, all the Ute fans who's tuning in here and anyone who, who follows the conference and followed your career just to give them any kind of message right now as, as we go into the season. Yeah. Well, number one, Trevor, appreciate you having me on the show. It's always nice to talk about this conference. Um, I got to tell you, and I think it was Nate who had wrote the comment in a little bit earlier, and, and mm-hmm. I could even feel sort of like the emotions kind of rise and, and I had to squash them a little bit. I got to tell you, man, I, I loved being at Pac-12 Network for the eight years. It was uh, the best best time of my professional career. And, and I've had, I've been so lucky. I've had so many great experiences, serious radio where I am now. And that's actually where I started my career after I graduated college, but NBA TV, ESPN, like the, the group that we have together, these are lifelong friends. The worst part is to not be able to be on these campuses, doing some of these shows, being in those meetings with those coaches, interacting with a lot of these student athletes, uh, the administrators. I mean, people don't even realize, man, just how much talent and Paul Kirk and, and Trevor, you probably know Paul pretty well, as good as it comes in this conference, you know, the ADs have been terrific to deal with. Like I'm going to, I'm really going to miss that. But you know, at the end of the day, I wasn't even sure if I should even post something that I was going to, you know, that I wasn't going to be at the network, but the conference sent out an email to our staff when they did, when my contract was up and not everyone knew. So I felt like I should at least say something. I did not anticipate the the type of reaction that, that I got, um, you know, full disclosure, man, I, I, I definitely teared up more than a few times reading those comments. I, I pretty sure I responded to everyone. It took me a couple of days to do that, but you know, I looked at every response as someone taking the time to, um, to wish me well, uh, they watched, you know, for the eight years, cannot thank everyone enough, man. It was, um, it was awesome. It was really awesome. And I understand that it's a privilege to be invited into to people's living rooms. And that's really what it was because hell man, we've all been home the last six months watching a lot of television. You know, there's, I don't watch everything. I watch a lot now. Um, but I do understand that people have a lot of choices out there. So for anyone who is watching over the eight years, seriously, can't thank you enough. And, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully at some point everyone's paths will cross again. And, and just the support's been, it's been mind blowing. So just thank you to everyone. I know that you uh, have someone who who will take you to lunch when you come back to Salt Lake City. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I definitely love to connect when this whole pandemic's done. And oh, for and, sure, man. And we can go out. And, well, you're, you know, you're friends with with, uh, with OC. I got to tell you, man. I, I'm like almost mad at him. So uh, Moochie's right in Salt Lake yeah. City. Mm-hmm. Can, is it okay that I just gave them? Oh, I yeah, already did. Fine. I gave him a plug. I had lunch with OC there. I, are you got to be kidding me, man? Those meatball like sandwiches mm-hmm. are you. Dude, I literally still think about it. I mean, I, I just was texting with Sean the other day. I'm like, yo, we we have to go back there. I love it there. So, Trevor, you, I'm going to be there with OC. You roll with us, um, and we'll have a good time, man. But I, I love that place for sure. It's like the East Coast, you know, subs that I used to get growing up as a kid. So it's kind of yeah, awesome. It does. It doesn't get a lot better than that. But Mike, I I really do thank you so yeah, much no, for, for taking sure, all man. this time and. Uh, I, I definitely want, want to get you on throughout the season. Uh, yeah. as, you know, once we start talking about football rather than a pandemic that is stopping football. For sure. For sure. No, I'm, I'm in whenever you need me. And uh, seriously, thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. 
All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast Live Edition. Big thanks to Mike Yam. Thank you guys for tuning in to kslsports.com. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.